Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you today in our series, And They Cried to the Lord, looking at desperate prayers of God's people. We've talked about going through desert places, coming out of dark places. We've talked about going through spiritually diseased places. Uh, And today, uh, we're going to talk about demonic places, in a sense. And I'm not going to go into the details of that, but mostly... Not when I say demonic, I mean going through evil times or evil places. And uh, we're going to talk about, and they cried to the Lord, Psalms 27, verse 1. If you're there, somebody say amen. amen. And as I was getting into this this week, uh, you know, over the last few months, the last few weeks even, uh, we have, me personally, I've been under just a spiritual attack for our church. Uh, I've sensed a spiritual attack on much of our leadership. Uh, Even in this community in this 2019 uh, in Louisiana, in the day that we live in, uh, we sense this great apathy uh, across the land, And, and, and not just in one denomination, but in all churches, in all denominations, where we see uh, the church splitting, and I've talked to many pastors about this, not splitting in the, the physical sense, but we see some able to persevere in such a, a lethargic day, a day of compromise, a day of drain. Just real, how many know it's just draining sometimes just to go through a week? It just seems to sap it out of you. Uh, and why is that? And we see so many uh, Christians just kind of falling away into not necessarily just going wild into the world, but just depressed and down and discouraged. We find it hard to read our Bibles. We find it hard to pray. We find it hard to get up and just have the joy of the Lord. And so my question for us this morning, and I'm going to ask myself is, are we a joyful people? We know it's a heavy day to live in. Uh, We know there are many obstacles against Christianity today, and increasingly there are becoming more and more obstacles. But more than all of that, When we hear and look in Scripture that the Bible says that the redeemed of the Lord will be a joyful people, and he says that he's purposed, that that when all this comes to the end, he says that everlasting joy will be on their heads, right? That his people will come into him, come unto Zion, come into that last call when he brings his church home. They will come with dancing and shouting and singing because they know they are victorious But that doesn't always feel like our reality, right? You go through this life, it's so heavy. And I want to talk to you this morning about going through times of spiritual opposition when you feel that the joy has just been sucked dry out of your life, when you find it hard to read, hard to pray, hard to go to church, hard to sing and have faith uh, for victory. And so look with me in Psalms 27. And uh, we want to talk this morning about having the joy of the Lord again. I believe God's a delivering God. He still heals and delivers and sets free. And how many know we can go through these last days with the joy of the Lord? Amen. Psalms 27, verse 1. David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. That word right there can mean deliverance. The Lord is my light and my deliverance. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, that's evil people, evildoers came upon me. My adversaries, my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart 
will not fear, though war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and meditate in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will conceal me in His tabernacle or His presence, in the secret place of His tent. He will hide me. He will lift me on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices. Look at this. Sacrifices with shout of what? Shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. And here's his response. And when you said, Lord, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. David is being pursued, but at the same time as enemy is around him and the obstacles are against him. And we're talking today not just about a physical issue. We may have physically uh, people who are against us in our workplaces. We may have physically people who are against Christianity in the, in the day and age that we live when our rights seem to be taken away. There's physical things out there, but a lot of times it's just the spiritual things. We feel the spiritual oppression around us, and David feels completely encamped around him, and he's pursued uh, by the enemy. But what he finds himself doing is somehow he finds himself pursuing God by faith. And he has this ultimate confidence in God, which produces in him, despite what seems insurmountable odds, he finds himself having shouts of joy in the midst of seeming defeat. And that's called faith. Amen. That's where we want to go today is saying, God, how do I in the midst of depression, in the midst of suffering, in the midst where I feel shame and regret, in the midst when it feels like, God, uh, I don't know how to break this addiction. I don't know how to uh, find uh, health and security in my family. God, I don't feel good. I don't feel powerful. I don't feel joyful. How do you move from that place where it seems everything is against you, that you don't just have the, oh, man, I love God. I'm so happy for Jesus. You don't feel happy. And that's okay. But how do you get to that place where you can have shouts of joy and songs of praise? I think today uh, in America we have a very joyless church. I think there are some that have it, and some of it may we could say, well, that's hyper-emotion or whatever. But just to have the true sense of joy. And you know, joy is not happiness. Happiness can come and go. Uh, you get a good pizza. Oh, man, I was happy. You know, like uh, they made my taco just right at Taco Bell. Okay, great, I'm happy. But joy is something that is new in the Lord every morning. It is a steadfast thing. It's like no matter what's around me, I'm joyful. Do you understand me? It's not an emotional thing. It's not a, a feel-good kind of a deal. But joy is the ultimate security that I know where God is and that God is for me and not against me. It's really put into who He is, not in my circumstances. That makes sense this morning. And so we look at the, the status of the church today and joy and faith really have a lot to do with it, each other. We find today Christians inconsistent in their devotion. We find few reading their Bibles or having a serious prayer time. I think that's the reason we find so many marriages failing. We find so many teenagers coming out and, and going into, into rebellion. We find the same problems 
that are in the world plaguing the church. We find divorce. We find pornography. Many pastors burning out, even failing, because it's so hard to live in these last days that we have. Uh, just, just the other day, I read an article about a missionary couple who lived in an Islamic country. Uh, true story. Lived in an Islamic country, uh, witnessing on the streets for Jesus secretly. Just the intensity there of not knowing if it was going to be the last day they would see each other. Then they moved to America for some time. And this pastor's wife, this missionary wife, tells her husband, she says, I don't think I can stay in America any longer. I really want to go back to our Islamic country because here I see so many Christians lulling to sleep. And I feel that 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 lulling, that sleepiness is coming on me. And I need to get back to the fire of really radically loving in, in Jesus. Amen? And, and, and we don't even know it sometimes. And the joy, I feel, has just been sapped out of so many churches and so many believers. They don't know how to be victorious. We don't know how to live uh, joyful. We don't know how to live in faith because I believe it's a day of secret compromise. And the Bible says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. I think he's doing everything he can, not only on the unbeliever's side, but also on the church side, to just have a bunch of sleepy saints. You know, Paul says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ's light will shine on you, that God will bring you a revelation about the days that we live in. Jesus said to the, the disciples, he says, You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can't you just wake up and pray with me? Because you don't understand the spiritual hour that you're living in. And what if Jesus was coming back soon, sooner than we even know, and that we are lulled and asleep in the American church, that it's a spiritual oppression that is sapped our joy. It's taken the fight out of us to pray and believe, no, God, I can see drug addiction break in my family, or God, I can see my teenagers come back to you, or no, Lord, I believe marriages can still be restored, and that revival still can happen in the day that we live in, right? But yet there's yet this lack of faith and lack of joy. And so let's look at this passage today, because I think we're at war and we're not just at war for young or weak Christians, but even in this last days, we're finding seasoned saints not have the zealous joy of the Lord. They're just sad. They're just sitting there. It's, all of it has just been sapped out of them, and they don't have the fight anymore. But the redeemed, somebody say, are a joyful people. Amen? The redeemed are a joyful people. People, so maybe today you are held captive by depressing thoughts. Maybe today you're in this room and you are lacking a motivation in your spiritual life. I'm going to tell you today there is joy that is going to come today. It's going to be a new morning today. Amen? Joy comes in the morning. Maybe you're in repeated trials or tribulations, but Psalms 27 can be your psalm because the redeemed are a joyful people. I want to talk to you today kind of about a, a different king. This was King David. He was able to muster that joy and that faith in the Lord to run to him. But let me tell you about a different king. Turn with me in uh, 2 Kings 17, verse 1. And I want to talk to you about paying tribute. Why I feel that we're in the place that we're in in the American church. Because I believe we've been paying tribute to another king. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, here's what the Bible says. Hoshea, son of Elah, began to rule over Israel in the twelfth year of King Ahaz's reign in Judah. 
He reigned in Samaria nine years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not to the same extent as the king of Israel, uh, who, kings who were before him, all right? And then King Shalmanezer of Assyria, he attacked King Hosea. So Hosea was forced to pay a heavy tribute or a tax to Assyria. But Hosea stopped paying that annual tribute or tax and conspired against the king of Assyria by asking the king, so of Egypt, hey, help me shake free from King Assyria's power. But now when the king of Assyria discovered this treachery, he seized Hosea, put him in prison, and the king of Assyria invaded the entire land for three years and besieged the city of Samaria. Finally, in the ninth year of King Hosea's reign, Samaria fell, and the people of Israel were exiled to Assyria. What's happened here? Let me give you the rundown. We are at the end of a divided kingdom. Remember, David started uh, doing well. He had Solomon, and Solomon's sons would come uh, to power, and they would divide the kingdom. You'd have Israel split into the northern kingdom of ten tribes is called Israel. The southern, southern kingdom of two tribes is called Judah. And we find after a lengthy time of mostly bad kings in the north, we find this last king, Hosea. Now, Hosea, he says, is not as bad as the other guys, but really what happens is he comes to power by killing the guy before him, making an alliance with this foreign power of Assyria, this great world empire. And so he says, hey, I'll work a deal out with you. I'll kill this bad king. I'll become king. You help me stay into power. We'll rule. It's going to be cool. It's going to be a good day. All right? So he gets to power, but then the king of Assyria dies. Their agreement was, hey, you need to pay me a tribute, a royal tax every year, probably a heavy one, and you can stay in power. But when the king of Assyria dies, Hosea thinks, well, hey, now I'm off the hook. I can be me. Don't have to worry about anybody else. I got here by my own power, my own strength anyway. And so I'm just going to cut ties with them. I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to be the best king Israel's ever had. We're going to lead into prosperity. It's going to be a great day. Things are going to be awesome. Well, the new king of Assyria heard about it. said, man, that guy, he was paying your former king, but he's not paying you now. He got mad. Hosea goes to Egypt says, hey, buddy, let me make a deal with you now. If you help me beat these guys, Assyria, then, then I'll, I'll be good with you. Well, Egypt, guess what? They didn't follow through. Hosea finds himself in a pickle. He finds himself with his back against the wall. He's not paid tribute. The king, new king of Assyria is mad. He comes and he laid seeds. He captures Hosea, puts him in prison, and for years siege, uh, sieges or oppresses the people of Israel until finally... The entire country is destroyed and goes to exile. He would be the last king of the northern kingdom. And then we talk about the ten lost tribes of Israel. This is it right here. What's happening here? And how come Hosea didn't do what David did in Psalms 27? Scripture says in verse 7 there, it says, The disaster came upon the people of Israel because they worshipped other gods. They sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them safely out of Egypt and rescued them from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They forgot their deliverer. I think that's the same thing is happening in the United States today. 
We have forgotten who has delivered us. We've forgotten our first love. We've forgotten the one that actually gives us power. And Hosea turns himself, he turns to another worldly power to say, hey, if you will help me, I can live the best life now. If you will help me, and I'll turn to this philosophy, and I'll turn to that thing. I'll turn to the worldly things. I'll turn to the pursuit of the corporate ladder. I'll turn to the, the relationships that I want. If I'll turn to this understanding of what the gospel really means, I'll turn to these deceptive philosophies. I'll turn to all these things. And if that'll help me get to where I'm going to be, is I don't want to not be a Christian. I don't want to not follow God. After all, I'm not as bad as somebody else. You heard that before? Well, it's not like I, you know, do that thing. It's not like I'm addicted to that. It's not like I'm one of those people. Hosea had made secret compromise to become a king. He made alliances with worldly ideals, worldly powers, worldly understanding in an effort to be a better king of God's people. It wasn't like he was turning to be a pagan king. After all, he still wanted to be Israel's king. He still wanted to have the temple and have the the things, you know, that we would still identify. I identify as Christian, right? Isn't that the world today? I identify as, I'm identifying this way, I'm identifying that way. But that doesn't mean that you are that, right? He could identify as God's king all he wanted to, but he wasn't living like it. And so they forgot God. They had secret disobedience and they had been resisting God's call for years. God had been calling them, if you will seek my face, if you'll just come to me, turn from your way of living, come to my way of living, seek my face, you will find rest for your souls. And so there was compromise. You know, I was thinking about this this week. And we're not faithful. And if we're fickle we'll find ourselves in a pickle, right? If you're not faithful, and if you're fickle, you're going to find yourself in a pickle. That's Hosea. He wasn't faithful. His faith was up and down. It was about the allegiance of the day. What thing right now will make my life better? What thing right now will give me most peace? Because we find Christians doing the same thing today. I don't know that if it's coming to church and finding God that's going to make me feel better, but maybe it's going to take extra vacation days. Maybe it's going to be finding that new relationship. Maybe it's going to just be vegging out in front of the TV and not getting in my prayer closet and getting in the Word of God and fasting anymore. It's the other things that will make me feel better about my life. Maybe it's a little bit, a few pills, a few medication. Maybe it's a drink now and then. Maybe it's going to the beach with my sisters and my brothers and just getting away from this relationship that is broken, that we've never prayed about, that we've never go to counseling for, that we never darken the doors of a church together. But if I can just go get this thing, then I'll get a little fix. It'll get me through this summer or this fall. But yeah, but what happens tomorrow? What happens the next day? And it was a compromise because compromise always has consequences. Compromise always has consequences. He did not have faith in the Word of God, but in his own ability. And instead of looking to God, he looked to other worldly things for deliverance. I think that's when we have comfortable, casual Christianity today. We have unknowingly compromised true faithfulness. And the joy has consequently been sapped out of us. I'm not saying that every person that's fighting with a lack of joy is at personal fault. I think it's a status quo of today. 
that we don't even know anymore what it's like to be an on-fire, radical believer for Jesus Christ. We have been so indoctrinated, so inundated to compromise, and we're not faithful to God's Word. When we imitate the world more than God, and when we make small compromises, we end up owing the enemy something. Catch this. He tried to get there on his own. He tried to find the next quick fix to get him in power to make his life better. But what he ended up doing is getting himself into a jam. He ended up owing the enemy more than he could pay. Isn't that how Satan does that sometimes? Oh, it's just a few glances. It's just a few looks. It's not going to hurt anything. It's just a little flirtation. It's just a little bit of this. And before you know it, you have paid more than you can get out. You have gotten into a place that you can never unlock the door from. He had made an alliance with the world, and in this power, and it turned back on him. It's, it, it bit him again, right? It, it turned the other way, and he finds himself saying, I can't pay this anymore. This is too much for me to pay. And what happened was is he had an illusion of freedom. Sure, this is how it works. Sure, you're king. This is your country. This is your job. This is your people. You can stay in that palace. You can drive that car. You can have that house. You can go to that church. You can do those things. But guess what? I really own you. I really own you. And I'll let you go so far. You can, you can do that. You can be a good person. You can go to church. You can sure you read your Bible every now and then. But when it comes to having true joy in Jesus... I'm going to draw the line right there, the devil says. When it comes to having true freedom over all of those addictions, I'm going to draw the line right there. You can, you can have freedom to this far. And that's what Assyria would say to Hosea. Yeah, Hosea, you can, you can do whatever you want to do, but just remember, I've got a little secret notebook of what you've done. I've got some things on my phone here. I've got these pictures to prove where you really are. So don't go too crazy, Hosea, because I really own you. And I think that's so many times in the church today that, that we, 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 we are a good enough Christian. We've gone so far to be, I want the name and the title, and I want to be a part of a church, and I want to be about this. But really, Satan has something over us. He knows your secrets. He knows your dark, darkest thoughts. He knows what you do when no one is watching. He has something over you that has kept you from feeling the full joy and power of Jesus Christ. Now, are we all fault? Yes, I am a sinner. I am fallen short of the glory of God. There is nothing good in me. I fall daily. But it's by God's grace and continually to turn to Him and find my strength in Him and my deliverance in Him and not in these worldly things. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying this morning? I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm saying what you do is you have to have a heart like David that seeks after God as your deliverer, not the things of this world. Because if you go after a few things before you know it, you've lost it. And Hosea owed the enemy, and when it became too heavy a price, he could not break free. Just perhaps that's why we have a powerless church in the United States of America, that we have owed the enemy more than we can pay. We've made small compromises, and the Lord spoke to me this two months ago, if for, for this season and for our church and for this community, that Satan would be specifically attacking Christians, not in major sin issues. Get me wrong. There are major sin issues, but in small compromises... And those small compromises would lead to captivity for many church leaders in LaSalle Parish, Louisiana. That's a word from the Lord.
small, non, what we would say, that's not a big deal. That's not an issue of life or death. That's not an issue, pastor, of heaven or hell. And I, yeah, but pastor, I can watch what I want to watch. There's no, there's no law anymore, right, pastor? I can, I can do what I want to do. It's just, a, it's just this. It's just a small habit. It's just a, a drink. It's just a TV show. It's just this little bit of gossip. It's just a little bit, pastor. But guess what? The enemy will let you take a little bit, and then he's going to take a lot of it. You'll end up owing him more than you can think. It'll sap the power and the joy and the victory right out of you. And Satan will be sure to hold that over your life. And he'll say, yes, but you can't experience the fullness of God's peace and joy or love. And what happened ended to be oppression. It was the consequence of their compromise, their illusion of freedom. And what happened is they became imprisoned in their own city. You ever been imprisoned in your own mind before? God, I can't break these thoughts. God, I don't know why I'm so depressed. God, I don't know why I don't have victory. God, I don't know why I don't have just the umph in my step anymore. God, I don't know why I don't feel like, you know, reading my Bible. I don't got, you know, I talked to a person, uh, several people in the last several months, just say, I want to be a church pastor, but I just can't get there. I want to be there, but I just can't get there. You ever felt like you're a prisoner in your own mind before? And the, the, the definition of oppression is this. It's as a result of not having full faith in God. Look at Hosea became a prisoner in his own land because of his fickle faith. But oppression is this. It's when the enemy is working on the outside. He set up siege. And it's this constant bombardment that temptation and persecution are coming against you, that he is doing everything he can to break you down. No, is he in your heart? No, are you still saved? Yes. But it's like, man, there's just this hammer every day. You get up and it's just beating you on the head and beating you on the head and beating you on the head. That every day, it's just a constant nagging, a constant temptation. And what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to break you down one day at a time. If he can get you to go back to your old life, go back to your old ways and say, no, no, just trust in me. Just come back to that relationship. we had. Just come back to the deal we had. You can be a good Christian, do what you want to do, and you can watch those, you know, nudity-filled movies, and you can watch those cuss-filled and violent movies. You can have a little drink now and then. You can, you can have a little gossip, a little flirtation here and there, but you can be a good person. Just come back to the, the agreement we had when you were just satisfied with just getting by and being an okay Christian. Because that's exactly where he wants the church today. Just good enough to have no joy and no power and no influence on a community. Just good enough where he can get your children, he can get your marriages, and one day you wake up and realize, I have owed him more than I was able to pay. But the redeemed are a joyful people. The redeemed are a faithful people because John 8 says, the truth has set us Free. And I love what Paul says. He says, I can be crushed. I can be pressed down on all sides, but not crushed. I can be perplexed, but not in despair. I can be persecuted, but not forsaken. I can be struck down, but not destroyed, right? I can be in all these situations, but guess what? I'm still joyful. I'm still victorious. I'm still an overcomer in Jesus Christ. And I know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And it's not going to be by my might, nor by my power, but it's going to be by the Spirit of God that I have the victory in my life. Amen? 
And so the redeemed are a joyful people. That it's not a happiness. You know, did David get depressed? Yes. Did David struggle? Yes. Did David cry out to the Lord? Yes. But he sought the Lord. And in the midst of the most horrible struggles of his life, he found constant, steadfast joy. He found strength in the Lord. Let's look at that passage. Go back to Psalms 27. Because I want to ask you today, do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of joy? You could say, I'm not crushed, Pastor. I, I know it's against me, but God, I'm not crushed. I'm not in despair today, Pastor. I'm not forsaken. I'm not destroyed. Even if I am struck down and pressed down and perplexed. Even if I am oppressed and persecuted. Even if the enemy is hammering on my mind every single day. Even if the situation around me is stagnant and stale. Even if I'm in a room of Christians who lack joy and lack power. But as for me and my house, I am victorious. By faith in Jesus Christ. Right, man? Psalms 27. I'll go back there. Look what this king has done. We saw the evidence of a bad king. Let's look at the evidence of a good king. Psalms 27. He says, the Lord is. That's just a good phrase in itself right there. He's all he is. He's the God I am. The great I am. The Lord is my light, my revelation. He is my salvation. The Lord is my deliverance. The first thing that David comes to is, number one, a surrendered life. This is what you have to have. Today, if you are fighting the enemy, if you're fighting spiritual oppression, if you're finding a, a, a lethargy in your Christian life to get up and read your Bible and pray, to get to church, to have faith for victory for your children, for your marriage, if you're just finding you don't have the grit in your life anymore. This is what you must do. Number one, have a surrendered life. David found his deliverance in the Lord. He realized, I am not enough. Best king Israel ever had. This dude took down a giant at 12 years old with one slingshot's throw. That dude was legit, right? I mean, come on. He could take down, the Bible says he killed a hundred Philistines by himself and he would, he would win every battle he's ever won in his life. And he, could do, he was the, the elite Navy SEAL of the day. And he says, you know what, but, 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 the Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is the defense of my life. That's why I don't fear. That's why I'm not afraid because I've humbled myself. You see, even how awesome he was, he humbled himself under the authority of God. And you have to start here. God, it's not my life. Lord, I surrender my will to your will. God, it's not my thoughts. God, I, don't, I know that I want to feel this way about that person. But God, you give me the right feelings to feel about that person. God, you know what I want to say to that person. But God, you speak through my mouth what you want to say to that person. God, I know how I want to spend my money, but Lord, you, you spend my money the way you want to spend my money, God. I know what job I want to have and career path and what relationships I want to have, but God, I surrender to your authority. God, you tell me what relationships I should have and what jobs I should have and what major financial decisions I should make. God, you are the source of my life. I surrendered to God. He brought everything to the light of Christ. It means I have to come to God and say, God, I'm going to expose those unfruitful things. God, if there's compromise in my heart. David said some really hard words. He said, search me, O God, and know me. And God, find out if there's anything unpleasing, any, anything that you don't like in my heart. That's a hard prayer to pray. It means getting down in the nitty-gritty with God. Maybe I'm more of a gossip than I think I am. Maybe I have more lust issues than I think I do. 
Maybe I have more pride, Lord, help me, than I, than I think I have. And I think I've been an okay person. Pastor, I'm not as bad as, you know, my so-and-so. You ever met my brother? You ever met my sister? You ever met my in-laws? God, you, I'm not as bad as those people down the road at that Baptist or Pentecostal church. God, I'm not like those people over there. God, we're not like we are. We're not living in the north. We're not in one of those major, you know, liberal cities, God. You know, that's the people that need Jesus. But he's saying, Hosea's like, well, I'm not as bad. Yeah, but man, you made some compromises. We've all made compromises. We've all fallen short. We've all failed. And it's coming to a place, God, search me. Know me. Show me, Lord, what is unpleasing. And I'm going to be finding you as my source of peace, as my source of joy. It's not going to be in my husband or my wife. It's not going to be in my role as mom or dad. Listen to me, parents. Your source of joy is not in your kids. Your source of joy, married person, is not in your spouse. It's not in young person. It's not going to be in your career. It's not going to be in the money you make. I don't care if you're making six-figure oil-filled salary. It ain't going to be in that. Your joy is only in the Lord. All those other things can be taken away from you. All those other things can be falling away. There's only one thing that David found as steadfast, and that was the Lord. Number one, you have to have a surrendered life. Number two is this, you must have faith in Christ. He says, my heart will not fear. The war rise against me. I shall be confident. He says, he will lift me on a what? A rock. Who is that rock? Jesus. Jesus said he's the rock. He's the, the foundation of your life. And when David said my feet were standing on the rock, I had something to put the weight of my life upon. I had something that was immovable, that was always standing, that would lift me higher above my enemies. It was something that was not fickle. It was something sturdy. And so I can lean all my weight on it. That is literally what faith means. It is to put your whole being onto something. I've I've said it before with the chair. I'm not going to try it today. But to stand on one of those chairs, you trust that that chair will hold you. You sit on it. You put your weight on it. You trust it with the weight of your life. And that is what David did. He says, I'm running to someone I trust. I'm going to the thing that I know will hold me. And I'm not putting it in the faith of Egypt. And I'm not putting it in the faith of Assyria. I'm not putting it into a relationship. I'm not putting it into the wealth I have or the horses and the chariots I have. I'm putting it into God. He ran to the rock. He believed the battle belonged to the Lord. And you have to know today that you are in a battle you cannot win. Sir, you cannot break lust. We cannot break pride. Young person, you cannot break addiction. You cannot break sin. We are powerless over those things. And you have to run to someone you know that holds all power in his hand. And if I realize I'm in a battle that I cannot win, Heath Harris cannot do enough good works to go to heaven. He can't be a good enough person. He can't even live this Christian life. I couldn't save myself, much less live a Christian life. So if I can't save myself, how do I think I can live a Christian life apart from God's help? I couldn't do it before. Why do you think after I confess my sins, okay, God, thanks, I don't need you anymore. I can do this Christian life by myself. That's what so many Christians in the church today do. God, thank you for saving my sins. Now I want to go live how I want to live within a moral relative boundary, right? God, if you just let me go, I'll kind of live my own life and just be good to get to heaven. But David said, no, 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 I trust him with everything. 
And I have to ask ourselves today, as Colossians 1 says that Jesus, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Because here's the, here's the issue right here. Listen to me. Do you believe Jesus when he said, I came to set the captives free? Amen. Amen? Do you believe that? Do I really believe Jesus came to set the captives, the oppressed, free? Do I believe that when he stepped on this earth, the Bible says he healed all manner of diseases and cast out demonic spirits everywhere he went? Do I believe that the Bible says that by his death, he rendered powerless the devil? How many people believe that? Do you believe it? That he rendered powerless the devil? It says he freed those in Hebrews who were children of faith. That God sent his son in 1 John 3, 8, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Because you have to have faith in not what you can do, but what he has already done through his son. You have to have faith that Jesus Christ is the chain breaker, that he still is who he says he is. And let me just say this. We sometimes go through this Christian life knowing the doctrine in our heads, but not our hearts. We say, oh, yeah, 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 he died on the cross. But no, 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 do you have faith that you trust him with your addiction? Do you trust him with that issue of lust or pride? Do you trust him with that level of saying, God, I don't know how to go all in, but I want to go all in. And he says, yes, just jump, take a leap of faith. Trust me, put all your weight on me. I'm enough for you. I'll be enough for you. You can give up that entertainment that's sapping you dry. You can give up those pleasures of this world that are costing you more than you're willing to pay. If you'll just trust me and go all in, you'll find that my life is sufficient for you, that my strength is made perfect in your weakness, that I I am enough to satisfy all your belongings, all your needs, all your wants, all your relationship issues. I am enough, and I have already destroyed all the works of the devil. It's done. It's finished. So all we have to do is resist by faith. 1 Peter 5, 9 says, resist the devil by faith. That means stop relying on your own self for freedom. Stop relying on your own self for joy. Stop relying on your own self to figure this whole life out and say, God, I just simply say Jesus is enough. Jesus is the one that I just lean to and long for. And that's where David gets to the next part. He says, number, two, number three, seek his presence. He says, there's one thing I'm, I'm really striving for in my life, guys. Man, I, 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 yeah, I could probably go out and win whoop up on some of these guys myself. I am, you know, kind of all that, by the way. And, and I've got a good track record under my life. I could go do all that. Man, there's just one thing I seek, though, that I could dwell in the presence of the Lord. I don't need more merit badges. I don't need more victories under my belt. I don't need no more money. I don't need more wives. I don't need more fame and fortune. There's just one thing on the pursuit of my life. One life goal, one life ambition. It's not my retirement by a lake. It's, it's not all this stuff. It's that I would just behold the beauty of God. If I could just see Him. If I could just get closer to Him. If I could just dwell in His courts. And man, when I dwell in His courts, when I'm in the midst of His presence, and I hear Him calling, and He is calling me, He's saying, David, just, just seek my presence. When God says, seek my face, that word face there means presence. When you just seek my presence, and David say, oh God, yes, Lord, your, your presence is, is what I'm going to seek. I, I'm not seeking even, I'm not even seeking victory anymore. 
I'm just seeking his presence. I, yeah, I want to get out of lust and pride and drugs and alcohol. Yeah, I want to have relationship issues fixed. I want to have financial issues fixed. God, I want, but you know what? That's, the, that's the, the battle. The battle is yours, God. That's yours. God, my job is just to seek your face. Just seek your presence. Because in your presence, oh God, when I get a glimpse of your presence, man, I'm crying out for you, Lord. I'm, and David says, man, I'm crying out and, and, and my desperate cry is a cry of mercy. He says, God, send your mercy to me. Send, send your power to me. Send your presence to me. And, and God says, yeah, David, just keep asking for my presence because I long to send you my presence. And David finds out, he says, guys, oh my gosh. And the, the fourth thing is this. He says, when I begin to seek his presence, when I begin to set my mind on his presence and stop worrying about the battle and stop worrying about the depression and stop worrying about the issues of life, and I just sought my mind on God and my heart on God, and I got, I got to this secret place, a place which had been, un, it had been foreign to me before, a place that I'd never got to in, in praise and worship, a place I never got to in my prayer life, a, praise, a, a place I never got to in my devotional life. And man, I found him. Guess what? I found him. He's alive. He's, he's not just some religious thing. He's not just some God who built a building somewhere, some God we, we put on a logo or a, a business card or a Christian t-shirt that he's, he's living, he's tangible, he's there. And man, when I got into that secret place, I started offering shouts of joy. I started offering praises of thanksgiving. The battle wasn't even won yet. I was already celebrating the victory because it was faith in who he is. So today, I don't care if you're delivered from drugs or not. I can't fix you. I don't care if you're struggling with adultery issues or pornography issues, if you've got gossip issues or pride issues. All of that battle is the Lord's. Heath Harris and Sanctuary Family Worship Center cannot fix it. I pray to God you will seek his face. And in the midst of the most trying times, in the midst of the most seemingly defeat, that you will say, oh my gosh, I got a glimpse of God. Oh my gosh, I begin to set my heart on the Lord. I'm tired of the status quo of Christianity. I'm tired of joyless living. I'm tired of, of, of defeat in my life. I know the opposition is against us. And let me tell you something, the devil is not going to stop. He's not going to say, oh my gosh, they, they, they started praying. Let's just let them go. He's not going to do that. He's not going to say, oh, man, that couple were struggling. They started going to church. I guess I'm going to let them go now. No, 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 no. What he's going to do, he's going to hit you harder than he's ever hit you before in his, your life. You start reading that Bible, he's going to come at you with everything he got. He's going to oppress you even more and oppress you even more. It's not going to get easier, church. In these last days, it's going to get harder and harder and harder. You better have faith in Jesus Christ. You better seek your eye on the Father who sent his only Son that he might pour out the promise of the Holy Spirit, that you might live in the fullness of joy. Because Jesus, on that last day before he was going to be caught, uh, before he was going to the cross, he says, guess what? I'm going to leave you a comforter. Someone who's going to give you supernatural, unworldly kind of peace, unworldly kind of joy. It's going to be a supernatural joy that in the midst of the darkest times, he's going to teach you what to say. You're going to feel my presence come in you and you're going to know that I am with you always. Do you have joy today? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? I'm praying for a church that has a little bit of a grit in it. A little bit of a spunk that says, I'm going to get, okay, devil, I am so mad at you. I'm tired of this. I'm going to set my mind on seeking the Lord. And I'm not going to stop until I get a revelation of that secret place that David talked about. And when I see him and I behold his beauty, oh my gosh, that's a place of shouting. 
That's a place of joy. That's a place of victory. When my feet are on the rock, I don't care what comes against me. Amen? Would you stand with me today? Worship team, would you come? The redeemed are a joyful people. The redeemed are a joyful people. In the days of persecution in the church, in Acts 13, the Bible says that as the disciples were faced with immense odds, much persecution, it says they were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Your circumstances are no condition or indication. They're no limitation to the joy of the Lord. I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes this morning and just begin to seek the Lord. Today, maybe you are oppressed. Maybe today you have been bombarded and bombarded. Maybe today you realize in your heart, God, I know there are secret compromises. I know, Lord, my faith and my zealousness are not where they ought to be. And so, God, I'm going to come to you, Lord. And when you say, Lord, seek my face, God, my heart says to you, O Lord, your face I will seek. Because, church, we're not enough. The most spiritual, most educated, most long-standing Christian in this room is not enough to have victory. It's not in our ability. It's standing on the rock by faith and say, Lord, I I seek you. I'm going to invite you just right now just to pray like David prayed. Lord, you're, you're my source. You're my supply. My humble dependency is on you. Lord, search me. Know me. I don't want to be like Hosea and making secret compromises, looking to get ahead. God, if there's entertainment I need to get rid of, if there's addiction issues I need to get rid of, if I need to push pause on TV and Facebook just to seek your face, maybe that's what you're calling me to do. Just get serious about God. You realize today that your joy is not where it ought to be. Your faith maybe has been fickle. And maybe today there's secret issues that you've done wrong to somebody else. God wants you to confess that. He wants you to confess it. He wants you to make amends maybe today. Maybe there's secret issues you've just been warring with for years to get victory over. You know that God is a delivering God. And it's not going to be in you figuring it out or trying harder. Listen to me. You cannot try harder. It is not in you trying harder. It's in you seeking the presence of the Lord.